Planet Pod, essential listening for everyone who cares about the planet. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Planet Pod, coming to you from COP26, sponsored in part by the COP26 Universities Network and the University of Strathclyde. And a really extraordinary thing has just happened to me. I walked out of the building here and I bumped into Hugo, who has developed a hydrogen fuel cell car. And Hugo's going to be on the podcast talking about that. But his passenger, believe it or not, this is and these things do happen at COP, his passenger is one of the winners of the Earthship Prize. So, you know, always with an eye to the main chance, I, I grabbed her and said, come and talk to us about what you do. So I'm really, really pleased to welcome my guest, Faita Cohen of Inapta, um, who has come up to COP to share her experiences, and I hope to learn some things. But welcome. Tell us about how it's been in the last few days for you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me so spontaneously. Um, the last, last few days have been extremely busy, and uh, a lot of unreal moments have been uh, going on. As you can hear, my voice is uh, timidly coming back, but it's been a lot of meetings, a lot of great conversations. We got to meet the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, um, Prince Charles, the Duchess of Cornwall, and to really talk about our solutions, and then bring it also to the stage of the World Leaders Summit and introduce, us to, um, introduce our AEM electrolyzer to Prime Minister Boris Johnson, as well as to introduce it to Bill Gates, which which was a lot of fun, right? Because we're building the electrolyzer like the PC of the IT industry. So to show him, hey, we're doing the same thing that you did, but for green hydrogen was quite exciting. Massively exciting. And congratulations on being one of the winners. And that's really wonderful. Let, let's row back a moment, if we may. The business that, that you're running in APTA, it, what is it and what does it do and why is it important? Sure. So at Anapter, we are designing and manufacturing AEM electrolyzers. And so an electrolyzer is a device that uses electricity to split water into hydrogen and oxygen. And we're seeing that hydrogen is an extremely versatile energy vector. And so it's carrying energy from green electricity to then be used as a fuel in all of our energy sectors. So when we look at our global energy consumption today, 20% of it is met by electricity. And that's what solar and wind are doing a great job at driving down the cost. But we still need to decarbonize the remaining 80%. And that 80% are sectors like mobility, industry, heating and cooling, and they're still relying on fuels and gases. And we believe that green hydrogen is what can decarbonize those sectors. So obviously, um, you're creating the green hydrogen, which is clean and safe and has no toxicity attached to it. But it requires electricity to get you there. So is it still a, a renewable source of energy? How much electricity are you using in order to create hydrogen to, to fuel the cars, for example? Okay, so I mean, to start off with, our standardized electrolyzer takes in 2.4 kilowatt. And we believe that... Um, the, the solution to meeting all of our energy needs is to stack our systems, right? Because we're making a compact and modular system. Um, we are at the very beginning of the value chain for green hydrogen. So we will produce the green hydrogen and then cars like Rivers and Poles by Hugo's are consuming uh, this hydrogen. So uh, according to their hydrogen requirements, then you would use one system or you would stack several ones. And I think what's really exciting is that we can then quickly adapt to the energy requirements according to the needs. Okay. And you made a comparison with what you're doing with, you know, what Bill Gates did, you know, scaling up PCs. So how 
big is the problem and how small will the solution be, if I can put it like that? So, I mean, it, you know, if you had a large adapter, how, how much space would you need? How much energy would you need? And what, what will we get in the end when, when adapters working full time, full tilt? <laughs> sure. So the, the challenge today in, in green hydrogen is speed and scale. And we believe that we will quickly scale up and drive down the cost of green hydrogen. So today we're in serial fabrication of our systems and we have started the construction of our mass production site in northwest of Germany. And once the mass production is live in the beginning of 2023, we will reach a, a sales point that where the green hydrogen that comes out from those systems is cost competitive with fossil fuels. And what we need to do basically is just to, to reach it really quickly, right? So when we look at how the PC disrupted the IT industry, what happened was that we came first with those mainframes and those supercomputers that took up a whole room and that also uh, were just quite cumbersome, let's say, and, and not um, available for everyone. It was not accessible or affordable for everyone. But then the PC came and it was a product that was standardized and now everyone even has it in the form of a phone. So electrolyzer manufacturers today are still building systems similar to the IT industry's early mainframes, which requires sophisticated engineering and planning. And so at Anapture, we're mimicking the introduction of a PC by building electrolyzers as a product and not a project because products can be scaled up and they're standardized and they can be mass produced much quicker than building systems as projects. Okay. And does it have other applications other than just going into, say, a hydrogen fuel cell car? Sure. So uh, today our electrolyzers are used in every sector. So they're used to make synthetic fuels, for example. Um, so this whole power to X conversation, our electrolyzers are used, for example, to create green methane or green ammonia, but they're also being used in the heating and cooling industry. One of my favorite use cases, in addition, of course, to refueling the river simple cars, is hydrogen uh, being fed to bacteria to create an alternative protein. And so that's also a really, really cool one. So really tackling the, the whole meat industry and the, the land use problem that we will keep having if we don't change the way we eat ourselves. And uh, so hydrogen can also be used to make an alternative protein. Um, and then, of course, the mobility sector, whether it is to refuel cars, but also uh, airplanes uh, or snowmobiles or drones. And then, of course, the power sector to provide long-term energy storage or seasonal storage. Hugo's just joined us, so I have to ask you, you've outside, and, people, and we will take a picture and share it with listeners, is your hydrogen car. Tell us a little bit about the car and how this partnership came about, because I think it's got other elements that it's not just, you're not, you're not just there to provide chauffeuring. <laughs> no, 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 it's entirely complementary. So we've, we've de developed a car completely around the characteristics of hydrogen. Um, mainstream auto manufacturers just don't have that luxury. They have to find an incremental strategy for putting hydrogen, the sort of cars they make, which have been optimised for over 100 years around petrol engines. And it puts a lot of stress on the technology. By, by um, designing around hydrogen, we're able to use existing available off-the-shelf technology to produce a commercially viable product here and now. And the, 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 the fortunate side effect of that is it's about three times as efficient. And if we're going to support all our energy needs, transport um, and other needs, the first thing we have to do is do everything more efficiently. In a capital-based energy world, which we've had, we can dig up oil at any rate we like, and that's what we've done. We've managed supply to meet demand. But if we're going to live off renewable energy, uh, it, we have to manage demand to meet supply. That's a t complete toggling of mindset, and it means that energy efficiency becomes much more important. 
And when you do that, if it's three times as efficient, one of uh, Vatia's 2.4 kilowatt uh, electrolyzers can support three times as many miles as if you were using uh, an inefficient hydrogen car. And so the, the demand reduction absolutely goes hand in hand and supports the development of green hydrogen. So a very compelling case, Hugo. Just a few practical things. I mean, the car is fabulous. It's outside. It's quite small. Um, I'm assuming that's because it's a prototype. Um, how, I mean, and, and the great problem we have when people talk about electrification of vehicles is the, the distance and the range. Mm. Is that something hydrogen will solve? Will the cars be able to go further for longer, for, for less effectively? Yes, absolutely. Hi- hydrogen, uh, we, we don't, uh, don't think hydrogen's the answer for everything. We absolutely acknowledge and support there being a role for battery electric vehicles. And the choice of whether you use hydrogen or, or batteries is nothing to do with size. It's to do with range and utilisation. And uh, if, you, if you want to make an efficient vehicle for longer range, you need to carry more energy and batteries are heavy. So even though a battery vehicle should be very efficient, once you build one for very long distance, it is, becomes very inefficient because, because it becomes so heavy. Our car weighs less than the battery does in a Tesla, for instance. And Your car weighs less than the battery does in a Tesla. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> and and so uh, and and the only mature sector for fuel cells at the moment in mobility is forklifts and pallet carriers. Now they're not large. The reason they're using fuel cells is because of productivity, utilization, and the same applies right the way across the board from pallet carriers right the way up to HGVs. We can easily make an HGV, for instance, running off batteries if you're happy to do fifty miles a day but it's not what HGVs do. If you want a long-haul vehicle, that's where you need hydrogen. But it's nothing to do with the size. And if you want a high-utilisation vehicle like a taxi or delivery vehicles, hydrogen, again, is, is uh, an order of magnitude more sensible. People have possibly ill-informed anxieties about hydrogen. I mean, is it safe? Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. I mean, green hydrogen, in the end, is a, a gas. Like any other gases, we need to have some... Um, we need to take certain safety precautions, but if you understand the behavior under, of, of hydrogen, if you know that it is the lightest element on Earth, and if you know how to work with it, then it becomes like working with any other gases. So, um, I mean, we've also even developed an energy management system to fully understand how our systems are working, um, which is very granular to the second, uh, to to make sure that um, our systems are safe, and of course they're they're certified to international standards. Okay, and in vehicles. Uh, even the authorities recognise that hydrogen is a lot safer than petrol. I mean, it has to be said that any any chemical fuel is is uh, potentially dangerous because otherwise it's not a very good fuel. And uh, the great thing about hydrogen in a vehicle is that um, you don't ever have a mix of oxygen and fuel anywhere in the car. If you've got a petrol car, you have to let air in to let the petrol out of the tank, and then you have a combustible mix, and that's what's dangerous. In a fuel cell car, we store the hydrogen under pressure in a gas tank, and you can let it out, therefore, without letting any air in. So nowhere in the, in the car do you ever have a combustible mix of fuel and oxygen. That's extremely reassuring, I think, for everybody, me included. How does it actually work? So you have a fuel cell. I mean, and then do you have to... This is, sorry, really dumb question, but do you then have to top it up, recharge it? How does the actual technology work in a car in an application of this kind? Well, in, in a car, it's really remarkably similar to the way we we're used to 
having cars and rocking up to a filling station and you, you put a nozzle into a tank and three or four minutes later you've got 300 miles in your tank. It, with a fuel cell car, you, the, the pumps uh, look very similar to a petrol pump. A hose you connect to the car. You don't actually stick a nozzle into a hole. You connect it and lock it onto the car. You then step back to the pump and press a button on the pump. And three or four minutes later, the tank will be full and you drive out with 300 miles in your tank. So it's, it's, uh, it allows all the convenience and flexibility that we're used to. Uh, whereas the problem with battery charging is that really you have to plan your day or your week around your charging schedule. And that lack of flexibility is, I think, a, a serious concern for people. And I think there's one such charging point already, isn't there? I think Inapta are working with you to, to provide <laughs> hydrogen on tap, as it were. Yes, yes, it's, uh, it's fantastic, actually. It's um, for... Milford Haven <laughs> Energy Kingdom, and it's an <laughs> Innovate-funded project, and it's a really sophisticated and fascinating project, I must say. It's um, integrating onshore and offshore wind and solar PV, uh, hydrogen, heat for the built environment, and, and hydrogen for transport. And, uh, and it's a small-scale pilot to demonstrate the integration systems, and, and again energy efficiency at the demand end is an integral part of making the economic stack up. And how close are we, both of you, to kind of roll out an actual sort of, you know, you were talking about scale, weren't you, and the fact that, that and I'm sure winning the Earthshot Prize has helped that, has helped scale you up, although you are, as you said, publicly listed. How close are we to roll out generally so this will become common practice as opposed to being something we just see in the confines of somewhere exciting like COP? I mean, in our opinion, one of our principles is urgency. So we are doing everything as quickly as possible because we believe that um, well, climate change doesn't wait, right? So we don't have much time. And um, so it's basically as, as quickly as, as we can go. By making a, a, a standardized system, we believe that anyone can already start using our systems across uh, large applications all the way down to the, the smaller ones as well. So we're already seeing them uh, in application today in over by over 160 customers, over 40 different countries. Um, so I think it's 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 just as how quickly can we go, and that's why we're building our campus as a blueprint because we know that for the green hydrogen um, needs of our future, it's not just one uh, and after campus, but actually several around in the world. So. We can say that um, it's growing, it's quickly growing. There's a lot of demand already for green hydrogen. And uh, it's just a question of, can we set up the right collaborations to only accelerate this change and the scale up? And how about the car production? Yeah. How well, close are we to scaling up that? The urgency is absolutely what, what drives us. So we are very, very keen indeed to pursue the green hydrogen route. And I think in terms of speed to market, we must point out that green hydrogen is a proven technology. Um, Inapta are moving it on and making it much more commercially viable and practical here and now, but it's not uh, a mystery. So we are somewhat perplexed, I should say, that the government's decided to pursue a twin-track approach with blue hydrogen, which is an unproven technology. And the idea of an unproven technology should be a stopgap for a proven one is utterly beyond me. But we are also quite clear that we are able now to produce commercially viable uh, fuel cell cars. We're also clear that uh, this is an opportunity for the UK, not just for us as manufacturers, but for the entire supply chain that it will develop. And uh, we don't want to be 
pursuing this in 10 years' time when the rest of the world is doing it already. We've, got, we've, we've done the work over the last 20 years. We're in pole position to actually establish a, a position in the global market, which realistically we, we simply can't ever achieve in the battery electric field, which is now dominated with mature companies in, in uh, the Far East, particularly China, of course. So can I ask you, Hugo, did you start with the car or did you start with the tech? What, what got you into designing for the simple? Oh, I, I, I started, um, I, was, I had a career in motor racing, got out for environmental reasons, and I didn't know what I was going to do, except I knew it was going to be nothing to do with cars. And then, <laughs> and then, then paradoxically... Uh, I thought the only future was better batteries, which is sort of basic science and big labs, big companies, not my sort of world. And then I found out about fuel cell technology, and I realised that the technology existed, but we needed to make a different sort of car, but also we needed to, and, and that made the technology viable uh, right from the word go, but also we needed a different business model for the 21st century, because if you sell cars, you make more money by selling more cars. So crudely or rewarded for maximising resource consumption. And I don't see how we can ever have a sustainable industrial society based on rewarding industry for the opposite of what we're trying to achieve. So uh, it was the combination of the business model and the technology and the fact that I have a background in cars that meant that I had an opportunity to do something to move the dial on, on, on climate change. Really exciting. How soon will we be able to buy one on the forecourt, do you think? Well, hopefully you'll never buy one. We hope never to sell a car. We'll only ever sell a subscription service. Uh, and the car will so stay we're not on... going to own cars. We're just going to use them as an, on almost like a, you know, the zip car model. And 90% of cars are bought on finance nowadays. Uh, and in that case, the title belongs to the finance company, not with the, the, the customer who thinks it's his car. And, and it, in, in our case, it would feel exactly the same. I mean, it's still, to all intents and purposes, be your car. But at the end of the, the life the car, the car comes back to us, the end of the contract, and we supply, we don't sell it into the second-hand trade, we provide a second, a third, a fourth-hand customer. Mm. So we've got, uh, um, and so our, we, our interest is in longevity and low running costs, because the contract includes the cost of the fuel, you don't pay for fuel when you fill up, it's the only transaction you have in having the usership of the car. And... Uh, And for us, it's a revenue-generating asset on our balance sheet. So the longer it lasts and the more efficient it is and the more reliable, the more profitable it is for us. So so it aligns our interests with sustainability. The more sustainable we are, the more profitable we are. Mm -hmm. And we've got 20 cars going. We've got a trial running in Monmouthshire and the trial in Milford Haven with Vatis Refueller. And um, we're aiming at volume production in three years' time. Very exciting. And Vetra, I have to ask you this. What difference do you think winning the Earthshot Prize has made to you? I mean, apart from the fact that you've got to hobnob with the, the great and the good and the celebrities, which I'm sure was brilliant and thoroughly well-deserved, what difference to the business does it make? Yeah, I mean, I think simply the recognition of, by the Earthshot Prize that our solution is worth scaling is huge. You know, we have been on the Anapter journey for four years now. The technology has been proven for 14 years, but now we're really going into the scale-up process. And the anion exchange membrane is is, is quite unique to Anapter, and we're the first ones really commercially scaling it up. And I think to have this recognition that we are on the right track, our strategy of making compact, standardized systems is right, and this is the direction we should go into, um, has just only strengthened our confidence and also given us a huge motivational push. And um, I think also in terms of uh, the awareness of what we're doing, of green hydrogen, but also of Anapter, 
because, you know, as mentioned, we are uh, scaling up. The mass production will go live early 2023. And of course, we're looking for a lot of new colleagues to join us. So I think this uh, this exposure has been uh, has, has only been helpful from that yeah. point on. Too. So if you're an engineer and you're listening, you know where to come because yes. there's, there's jobs are plenty. Absolutely fascinating to talk to you both. Thank you so much for for literally stopping by <laughs> um, and for allowing me to hijack you slightly in your journey. And, and huge, huge congratulations on the Earthshot Prize. Thoroughly well deserved. And thank you very much, Hugo, for telling us about the car. And we will come out and take a picture. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Planet Pod with me, Amanda Carpenter. Um, thanks to my guests and obviously also to the team at Grantham and at Strathclyde um, and to Jim and Beth for all their support. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Planet Pod is brought to you by Akil Management. My thanks to our producer, Jim Hayward, and our researcher, Beth Palmer. And to you, our listeners. Without you, we'd be very lonely. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at planet underscore pod, or visit our website. Please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you with ideas for future programmes. Thanks for listening. 